0: How did the hunger for connection come about? On today's episode, I want to go through a little bit of my personal journey, the journey that I have taken as a foster and adoptive dad, and as a professional chef and culinary instructor, and how those two parts of my life came together to begin to create this new perception on trauma-informed care, and how our relationship with our body and our relationship with food can inform and shape the way that we see ourselves and the people that we're attempting to caring for, uh, specifically our foster and adoptive children. My name is Chef Kibby. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get started. You found the Hunger for Connection a show that seeks to combine the latest in neuroscience research with our shared experience of food and cooking to create a practical, approachable way for a foster adoptive parent like yourself to connect with the disconnected child in your life. You'll begin to see the challenges you face in your parenting, not as a problem to be fixed, but as a hunger to be fed. I'm Chef Kibby, public speaker and biological foster and adoptive dad. And I'm here to help you feed the hunger for connection. Let's rewind a few years BC before COVID. At that time, my family and I had a a thriving catering business. It was it was really starting to do well. We had um, opened up our own event space in which we could have our own kitchen and host our own events. And I was doing hands-on cooking classes um, within the walls of our own facility, and things were looking really, really good. At least on the surface, professionally. And it was good. I don't want to downplay the way that God had blessed my, my ministry and my, uh, my profession at the time. Being really honest with you, what I was doing professionally was, I was using it as a little bit of an escape route because things at home were not going very well for me. My wife and I had begun fostering uh, several years before all this took place, and we had had a number of placements in our home. The first placement was really, really rough. We had um, several children placed with us at one time, and it was really overwhelming, and it was really challenging, and we did our best, and we... I don't know how to say it. I guess we we came up short. Uh, We ended up having to... Disrupt that placement. It's hard to put together in words exactly what that experience felt like to us at the time. If you have had to disrupt a placement, whether it be through foster care or adoption, you probably understand this, this mix of emotions. We felt really troubled, confused, had a lot of questions as to whether or not we had made the best decision, in becoming foster parents, and yeah, it was, it was a really tough blow to go through at that time. Fast forward a few years later, we took a number of placements since then and ended up actually adopting out of foster care, and I thought that that was going to be the solution to the issues that we had been facing throughout this time, issues with attitudes and behaviors that were really challenging to us. And it was challenging to me personally. Even with all of the trainings that we had gone through, I was convinced that as long as I was consistent in my parenting and setting clear and what I would consider to be reasonable boundaries and expectations on these children, that everything would go smoothly. And that all I needed to do was to be consistent unwavering with my expectations and my discipline, and eventually these kiddos would get it. And they did not. And in this particular case of of adoption, I thought that adopting this child out of foster care would somehow change the way she saw herself, her environment, how she would see me, and everything would become better. And it didn't. And that, too, is frustrating. And so what I ended up doing was escaping into my work, you, hoping that by utilizing my gifts in allowing other people to be present for their families, especially during really important events like, you know, weddings and um, the, celebrating a, the birth of a child or expecting the birth of a child and, and uh, you know, business gatherings and all sorts of things by using my gifts and helping other people to connect with each other, that somehow that would continue to provide me with some validation in my life. And also using the having of the facility and going to work, using that as an escape to get away from the problems that I was having at home and literally praying for my wife praying that God would equip her to be able to handle the issues that we were facing at home, because I just couldn't. And it was at that time that God allowed something to happen in my life. And that was a global pandemic. We all remember what happened in the spring of 2020. COVID happened. The world locked down. And my particular region of of Ohio and central Ohio, more specifically, experienced an extended period of lockdowns in which, specifically, businesses that were based around having people in groups eating in public, that was no longer allowed. And that was kind of the centerpiece of my business at that particular moment of time. And so... Needless to say, that business didn't last much longer. We ended up shutting down the catering business permanently, shuttering the event space, selling off the equipment, and I went into a bit of a, a bit of a depression. I was not doing well after that. Not only had I lost this external source of validation for me as a chef, as a person, that I am still capable of doing good things. I lost my escape route from all the problems I was facing at home. And so now I had a dilemma. Do we continue to do this thing? Do we continue to to be foster and adoptive parents? Uh, Knuckling through, white knuckling through this, or do we get some help And thankfully, I had a very supportive family. My wife and her parents and her grandmother, very, very supportive of all the work that we had already put into our orphan care journey and wanting to see us do better, to improve, to find ways of improving our experience of orphan care. And in that journey, some things happened. I came to discover more fully this idea of trauma informed care specifically TBRI Trust Based Relational Intervention I can't say enough about TBRI I am not a practitioner although we did have a tra- a um, a TBRI practitioner that came into our lives and came into our home on a regular basis her name is Tammy and She was a game changer. Having a TBRI practitioner in our life and someone who has walked the walk and talked the talk and has experienced many of the same things that we were experiencing at the time was so incredibly helpful and encouraging during this time. So again, this is not a commercial for TBRI, but I will definitely leave some links in the show notes to some resources that are based in this modality. That trust-based aspect of understanding children from hard places really began to light a fire within me to see my role in my child's life differently but then it really began to transform into something new that trust-based side began to intersect with my food side my cooking side my understanding of food Because one of the things that I've always understood about food is that it involves trust. Anyone who has ever allowed me to prepare a meal or to serve a meal to them has placed in me a sense of trust. We often overlook just how much trust we put into other people and into brands and into restaurants in preparing and serving food to us, that we're gonna take what they have had their hands on, literally. ...and place it into our bodies. It is a very intimate expression of trust... ...that we are placing into other people... ...and into other institutions. And I've always honored and respected that... ...in my career as a chef and culinary instructor... ...and a food service professional... ...and a caterer... ...and someone who conducts cooking classes. All of those things... ...I've always wanted to honor that sense of trust... But it wasn't until this period in my life, after COVID, coming back home, experiencing this new chapter in my life, that I began to make the connection between the trust that other people had placed in me with regard to food and cooking, and the kind of trust that a child, a child who's been disconnected from their family of origin, needs to experience in their life and needs to feel toward the other people in their lives in order to be able to be adaptable in order to begin to have a sense of peace that same peace that i reflected upon on episode 1 of the hunger for connection podcast that this hunger for connection is connected to what we understand through interpersonal neurobiology and brain chemistry that we're all wired to want to be seen soothed safe and secure all Four of those realms of connection and all four of those S's are about gaining and maintaining and retaining a sense of trust. And so when we begin to look at food from this trust-based standpoint, we can begin to understand how this might coalesce and combine with our desire to provide trauma-informed care— to do so in a way that is deeply embodied and intimate. But I didn't begin to fully understand that until I had a particular interaction with this child, the child that we had adopted, a child with whom I did not have a very good relationship. And it happened one afternoon. I will never forget it. It was a Tuesday afternoon, and I was in the kitchen preparing food. I remember specifically we were, I was chopping up some cauliflower at the cutting board. And this child came up to me and asked me a question that I will never forget. She said, Daddy, can I chop up your veggie scraps? And I remember thinking to myself, what? When is this child ever asked to be with me in the kitchen? When does this child ever really wanted to spend time with me at all because we did not get along very well, let alone spend time in the kitchen, this kitchen, this place where I was going to find some sense of connection for myself, the place where I was getting comfort. She was now coming to be comforted by me in the place where I was trying to give comfort to myself and allowing her to come into the kitchen during that time could have brought with it a lot of negative or potentially negative connotations. The stress of having her in the kitchen with me, the potential anxiety of giving her a knife, (laughs) a child who at the time had a lot of, um, let me just put it this way, body control issues, which again is not uncommon for children who have come into care, and which we'll probably talk about on another episode, and to do something that... In, in hindsight or in just plain sight, would not contribute anything at all to me putting food on the table that evening. It wasn't even something all that helpful. I mean, these scraps of vegetables were just going to be going into the compost or be fed to the chickens the following day. Yet, in that moment, because of the prayers that my family had been showering upon my life during that period of time and because of the work that Tammy and others who have relayed and reflected this idea of of trust-based relational intervention into my life at that time, I chose to overlook all the potential negatives and instead see that there could be a positive outcome by saying yes. And so I said, sure, kiddo, let's Grab you an apron, a cutting board, and a knife that's appropriate for your level of skill at this particular moment in time, and let's let this happen. And it was in that interaction, and all the interactions that have followed since then, and all the interactions I've had with other families and caregivers like you who have begun to put this into practice in their homes, that I've begun to see and understand and fully appreciate that when we begin to allow children to be involved in the kitchen with us, we are doing so much more than saying yes. We're doing so much more than just spending a little bit of time with them. We're doing more than just teaching them how to cook. We are connecting with them on a deep neurological level basis. We are taking this trust that is involved in preparing food and serving food to others and putting that trust in them. We are entrusting them to be in this space with us, and we are trusting them to be aware of where they are and of what they are doing, and to have their hands on something that we, as their parents or caregivers, are going to place into our bodies And the more I begin to understand the neurogastronomy of how our bodies perceive food and receive food throughout our sensory systems, and again, I will go into that in more detail in another episode, I cannot stress enough how deep of an impact this can and will have when you begin to put this into practice. I've seen the changes in me. And in my relationship with my child, I thought at first that this would just be a process of changing her. And I continue to be surprised at how much it has changed and shaped me. And in so doing, has changed and improved the relationship that I have with my child. And in so doing, has helped to reach down to my child's level and lift them up out of their sense of disconnect. relationship to themselves, their environment, the people around them, and their sense of hope in the future. The benefits of seeing this hunger for connection perspective in your child will have impacts far beyond the kitchen. And it's more than just about sharing the kitchen with your child. That is a very powerful part of it. But it's transcribing this language Of food and hunger, and our desire to have this hunger met, that helps us to understand the way our children behave and respond to the stresses, the changes, the pressures that they're experiencing in their lives as a part of this discipline that we're trying to have for them. It's a beautiful and wonderful. Thing When we begin to allow this to change and shape our perspective, you will be amazed at the, the depth of empathy and compassion that this will open up for you. And for you, it could simply begin with finding an opportunity sometime in the next day, the next week, the next two weeks, for you to just spend some time with your child in the kitchen. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be well thought out or practiced. And it could just be something that just randomly happens. Or it could be something that you you are looking to make happen. And I hope that in the, the days and weeks and months and years to come, that as I continue to share these thoughts and stories and concepts and the research that I'm doing in this realm of interpersonal neurogastronomy, that I can share more practical and specific ways that you can use this activity that all of us have to do on a daily basis, and that's eat, and to use it in a way that helps to shape you, to shape your child. And most importantly, shape the relationship that the two of you have together so that you can live the kind of family life that I believe God has in store for you and desires for you. If anything I've shared with you has resonated or brings about any sort of questions you may have, I encourage you to reach out to me. I'll leave the link in the show notes to this episode And be sure to hit that subscribe button so I can continue to share with you the thoughts and the stories and the research that I'm doing in this area so that you and your family can benefit from it. Thank you so much for joining me. Until next time, I'll see you in the kitchen.